First Peter chapter three. And as we've been going through first Peter, Peter has been dealing with Christians who have been going through suffering. And so Peter finds it uh, an appropriate time to talk about marriage now. There's no correlation there. I'm just going, this is just kind of the flow of the chapter. But Peter has been more so really in the context of what we've been seeing, looking at how we're as Christians and believers to be a witness in this world in the midst of suffering. All right? So regardless of what's going on, how we're to continue on because we're God's chosen people, we're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And so we've been called to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and in his marvelous light. And so it means that that changes the way that we live, the way that we conduct ourselves in this world. And it's to make a difference in how we conduct ourselves in our marriage relationships. This is where Peter is taking us here. So we saw last week how our conduct is to be changed in the way that we submit to those in authority, to governmental positions, to every every ordinance of man or, or human institution. We, we come alongside, we submit to them. We submit to our, as Peter says, servants to masters, or we would say our, our employers, our, bo- our bosses. We, we submit to these forms of, of leadership. But now Peter brings it home, or more so he brings it into the home to show how we are to relate and conduct ourselves one with another in the marriage relationship. And so just as we are to submit to one another or to those in authority, there's to be submission in the home as well. So here's what we're going to look at in in these few verses. We're going to see an exhortation to wives, an example for wives, and then an exhortation to husbands. And as you can see, Peter feels he needs to give six verses of instructions to the wives, but only one to the husbands. I'm not going to attempt to try to explain why that is. We'll just leave it at that. But look at here, in verse 1, it says this. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So, as we've been following through our study through First Peter, we've seen that Peter oftentimes starts a new thought, but links it to what he's just been looking at and discussing. Now, remember when the Bible was written, it wasn't written with chapter breaks or verses. It was just one, you know, congruent flow. And so the authors would oftentimes give little indicators as to, okay, we're starting something new, but yet don't miss on how this all links together. So Peter oftentimes has been using that word, what? Therefore. And you ask yourself, what is it therefore? Well, let's look at what it just said. Now, Peter doesn't use the word therefore, but what Peter does do is he says here, he says, wives, likewise, all right? So we're, we're discussing wives here. This is the context that we're dealing with. Focus is on wives. Now, some of you might be here going, well, I'm not a wife. That's great, okay? Some of you are going, I don't plan on being married. So much of what we're gonna talk about is about marriage and, and, and married couples. Some of you are going, well, I'm not married. But listen, there's gonna be, principles and thoughts here that are going to be very applicable and appropriate for all of us to take in as just Christians here today. So whether you're married, whether you plan to be married, there's something here for you that I want you to not tune out, but to perk up and to go, God, what do you want me to learn through all of this? So Peter now is saying, okay, wives, likewise, likewise. So again, what's, what's kind of come before us? Well, like I said already, Peter's addressed in, in chapter 2, verse 13, that we're to submit to every human 
ordinance or, or every human institution. So that means all, you know, government authority. All those that the government is, is sending out into, you know, communities and civil things. You know, we're to submit to these things. We're to submit to our, in our workplaces, to our bosses. So Peter's saying, just like you would do in that situation, so too wise, in like manner, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, can I just say that I'm a little bit thankful that we're a little bit depleted here on this Sunday because of the coronavirus, that, you know, we're not as many as we could because this is the kind of stuff where I think, man, do I need to come prepared with a bit of a shield or a barrier here? Because this is the opportunity for, you know, projectiles to be launched at me to send people into fits like, you know, toilet paper shortage or something like that. Um, so I'm thankful we're a little bit civil. And, and I don't think any of those projectiles would hit me because they'd mostly be thrown by wives or women. But um, no, I'm teasing. That just was a little bit of fun at your expense. I don't mean it. Trust me. I don't mean it. I was just throwing that in there. But let me just say, as we're going to go through this passage, I'm just the messenger. All right? You don't take out the messenger. You may not like the message, but I'm just the messenger here today. Okay? Now, Wives are called to, notice, be submissive to their husbands. And so in other words, this is an ongoing attitude. Be submissive. It's an ongoing attitude. Where this isn't something Peter's saying, in this situation, I want you to submit. Or in that circumstance, wives, yeah, you need to submit. No, this is something that's to be an ongoing character of the wife where they are walking in submission always to their husbands. Now, we all know that that term submit has caused women to just kind of go into a fit of rage, thinking this is archaic, it's outdated, it's old-fashioned. And it's important that we kind of have a response to those kind of critiques. Because many people feel that the Bible is old-fashioned, and in general, it just doesn't work for today's society. That's old. It's, it's, not, it's not relevant for today. That's how many people view the Bible. And so we need to know, well, how do you, how do you counter that? How do you address that? And so I think it's important to see that the issue is not so much with what the Bible says, but in how people interpret or understand what God says in his word or why God says it. Because can we just agree that everything we see God saying and doing is outlined for our good, for our health, for our benefit, because Jesus has come that we might have life. And have it to the full. So everything God lays out for us is that we might experience the fullness of life. It's not ever to restrict us, as some people might think. So it's understanding why God has us there. What God is saying exactly through this. You see, here's one thing we need to realize and take note of today. Is that God is not saying that women are inferior to men. Thank you. I was waiting for that. That was your cue, ladies. That was your cue to rise up. Amen. Women are not inferior to men by any means, and especially to their husbands. We're, we're, we're going to see as we continue on this passage that there's great equality between wives and husbands. So what does God mean regarding submission? Well, that word submission, I love this word. It's the Greek word. Let me write this out here. It's a Greek word. Anybody know? Hupotasso. Hupotasso. Say that with me. Hupotasso. That was, I think, the first Greek word I learned. Not because I'm like trying to enforce submission. I had a Bible college professor that just, you know, he loved this word. So I was like, 
Wives, you need to submit. Hupotasso. And he just said it all the time. Just drilled it into my, into my mind. Hupotasso. I think the first Greek word I learned. But here's what that word essentially means. It means to arrange under. Arrange under. And so it's a military term that specifies to place under rank. To place under rank. Interesting. Now the military is all about rank, isn't it? Why? Because you can't have two people directing what you're going to do. You can't have two five-star generals that are giving orders over a troop of people. Because then you're going to have everybody kind of wondering, well, do I listen to that person? Listen to that person? They're both in the same rank, who do I, if I fall, this person going to take off that person. If I fall, that person, I'm going to get this person upset. Who do I fall? And it just leads to disorder ultimately. So the idea is that God wants to bring about order. See, the idea is that in every body of people, you must have a leader who leads. There's always going to be one that's going to rise to the of giving direction and leadership. So God has arranged for husbands. To be the leader, to be the the head of the home, the leader in the home. That's what God's word says. It says it right in Ephesians 5.23. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. So, So wives are called to arrange themselves under the, the headship or the leadership of the husband. And it and it's so to ensure peace and harmony. In the relationship. This is God's good design to bring about blessing in marriage. Who doesn't want that? Right? I mean, this is a good thing that God is saying. For, for you to be ensured of a harmonious, peaceful relationship. I'm going to point the, the husband is going to be a leader. And when the wife follows and, and submits, there's going to be blessing and peace. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about what this looks like. Because this can get abused. See, again, submission is not about submitting to a tyrant. Or being a slave, a footstool to the husband, or being treated as inferior. Submission may require some challenges and sacrifice, no doubt. But the idea is that wives are to make themselves subject to the leadership of their husband. Now, some of you might be asking, well, why should I do that? Why should I do that? Well, one big reason is because God tells you to. I'm just, remember, just the messenger here, okay? It's what the Bible says. It may not be comfortable, but it's to ensure a comfortable home. That's why God lays this out for us. Again, when two people are trying to take the reins, you're just going to be going in circles. You're not going to get anywhere. Somebody has to be willing to submit and and follow so that you can be moving together. Now, secondly, we do this because we honor the Lord in doing so. Look what Paul says just in the verse before this one, Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And that's super important for us to look at. You do this, wives, as though you're doing it unto the Lord. Now, you might, you might not like the idea of having to submit to your husband, but look at it as though you're submitting to the Lord because that's what you're doing. Your submission to Jesus is being demonstrated in submitting to your husband, regardless of how much of a moron he might be. That's not your problem. Your submission to Jesus is being demonstrated in bringing yourself under subjection of your husband. See, here's the thing, and look at it this way. Your mission 
is to live under the headship of Jesus Christ as our great captain and leader. That's your mission, should you choose to accept it. But your sub-mission, your mission below that, is to bring yourself under the leadership of your husband. Your great mission is to give glory to God, and that will be accomplished through wives submitting to their husbands as the head of the home. Now, notice something here. Peter makes sure to point out that wives are to be submissive to their own husbands. Let me, let me clarify that here. To your own husbands. In other words, this is not a general rule or command being given for women and men in general. Okay? Some cultures have sought to kind of go in that direction where women are placed down low and the men are these authoritative figures in general. That women are just expected to come alongside men and do what they ask or say. So some cultures have placed that kind of low view on women. And, and, and there are some that, that look at Christianity as though Christianity has kind of really suppressed women. And they'll read verses like this. They'll read Ephesians 5.22 and go, see, look at that. Submit, why submit your That is so old school. The Bible is, Christianity is just a nothing but brought women down. Can I just say that it was Jesus and Christianity that elevated women to a place of great importance and honor that they didn't experience prior? Because in these cultures, when Peter's writing this, when Paul was writing this, you got Roman culture, you got Greek culture, you got Jewish culture, all of which had had this very low view of women, where, where women were just kind of brought low. They were there to service or serve men. They were kind of used and abused at times. But Christianity came in and began to lift bring about a new equality. Christianity did that. Jesus did that. Jesus came alongside women and blessed women as though they hadn't experienced that before. And they hadn't from men. What did the Jew go and pray every morning? Thank you, God, that I'm not a, a Gentile or a woman. That's what the Jewish man would go and pray every day. I mean, I, I do pray that myself once in a while, but, you know, it's not because I see a low view of women, all right? I'm just thankful I don't have to deal with some of the things that they have to deal with. But anyways, so Christianity came and elevated women. Now look at what we see with this new equality here now, it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. Notice, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So through Jesus now, there was a new freedom and equality between races, relationships, and genders. A new equality. Between genders, there was this new equality now in value. Because you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus died the same for men as he did for women. He loves each one with equality. Now, among our genders, genders there may not be equality in intellect or ability or strength. I'm not saying which gender I'm talking about here. And don't ask my kids that either because I'm married to a, a woman who's, who's very able, all right? She is gifted, she is smart, she is strong. Seriously, we'll get into some wrestling matches once in a while just for fun where we're like knocking out living room furniture. And there's times I've had a tap, all right? No lie. Uh, I mean, she fights very dirty, all right? She breaks every rule of combat. She really does. So 
Uh, but most of I'm just tapping out because I'm just laughing too hard and having a good time. But all, I say all that to say, this is not about who's better or more gifted. God simply chose the man to be the head. I'm sure there's times where he's even thinking, what have I done? But, you see, he works through it. And we simply need to walk in obedience to what he has done and follow along with what he's directed us. Now, now some women might look at their situation and think, so if my husband is not following along with being the head of the home as God's directed him to, does that mean I don't have to submit because he's not carrying on his responsibilities? Or if he's not following the Lord, does that mean I have to submit? Oh man, again, I'm just the messenger, but the answer is no. You do need to submit in every situation, regardless of what your husband's doing. Notice this here, that even if some do not obey the word. So Peter's dealing with those that might not be believers, or they might just be walking in disobedience to the Lord. He says, wise, you're to do this. And you're to do this without a word. In other words, (laughs) what happens when I know I'm, I'm venturing in a thin ice here now. Somebody said that this morning. Oh, you're on thin ice. I'm like, I know. I'm trying to, trying to avoid this. But see, you know the, you know the stats out there that, that women like to use between, what is it, 12,000 and 20,000 words a day. Whereas men are like seven to 10,000, right? Some of you are like five and you're good with that. But there's a great discrepancy between the amount of words that women speak in the amount that men typically speak and so what happens oftentimes is that when the wives are not seeing things the way that they should be seeing it what do they want to do they want to say something about it they want to direct they want to instruct they want to they want to try to lead in fact there's something genesis 3 i mean is very interesting because even with the curse what did what did god say to women that your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Way back in Genesis. Now, some people go, oh, that would be so nice if my wife's desire was for me. But that's not really what it's implying. It's meaning that her desire would be to usurp the authority and to be the one that's leading. But you, man, shall rule and shall lead and shall be the head. So when a wife sees things not going the way that they should, they get, they're going to want to speak up. And they're going to want to say something to try to direct and, and lead in that situation. But Peter says, pump the brakes a bit, dear. Hold off on that. And live your life in a way where without a word, you may win them over. That they may be won. How? Just simply by the conduct Otherwise, just by seeing how this wife is going to live in submission, even when the husband is not deserving it. That's what Peter's directing us in. And in fact, if you go back to 1 Peter 2, verse 12, he's directed all of us to live this way. He says there, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. What does Peter say? Conduct yourselves with the Gentiles, the unbelievers, in a way that even when they speak against you, they might observe your good works. In other words, they just see what you're doing, not what you're saying. They see what you're doing and they go, 
I have no reason to deny this person. I have no reason to question this person. And they glorify God in the day that he comes and visits them with his grace and love. Now, what does it mean to have this chaste conduct? Chaste conduct is kind of a word that we don't use a whole lot today. Well, it means, chaste means to live a pure life. In other words, this is a life that is free from defilement or blame. So that when the husband sees a chaste wife, he has no reason to leave her, deny her, question her, or mistreat her. Apart from his own foolishness and sin. You see? In other words, the husband's going, why would I, why would I give her up? Why would I wreck what I have? Because she's living in such a way that I've got nothing against her. I've got nothing on her. Why would I go anywhere? That they might, by your chaste conduct, be won over. And, Peter also adds, let this be accompanied by fear. Accompanied by fear. Now, fear of what? Because a lot of people might be looking at, man, if I'm living this way, if I'm surrendering myself, I could be very fearful of where that's going to lead. There might be people that do it, but that's not what Peter's really getting at or addressing because he's used this many times already in his epistle of 1 Peter so far. In fact, as we continue to look at what 1 Peter 1.17 says, conduct yourselves through the time of your stay here in what? In fear. 1 Peter 2.17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And then he says the next verse, 2.18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. This isn't trembling at the idea of, Oh, my submission is going to make my life difficult and hard and I'm freaked out over it. It's not that. Peter's addressing the fear we're to have of God. The fear of God. Let the fear of God motivate you and move you to be a person that is willing to submit. In other words, you do all this out of a reverent heart to God. Your motivation is living this way to love God, to to show your honor and devotion of him. You want to you honor him because you fear him. And you know that his way is the best way. And any other way is not going to be as beneficial to you. So regardless of what the outcomes might be. You know my part is to be submissive. Regardless of the outcome. I'm going to do this because my fear for God. Is greater than my fear for anything that this might result in. I'm going to honor him through it. And trust him in that. Now before we move on. There's one other motivation we need to look at in being submissive. Because when, when Peter says there, wives, likewise, now we looked at what we saw in chapter 2, verse 13, and about being submissive to every human ordinance and submissive to your bosses. Well, in 1 Peter 21, 2, verse 21, and on to the end of chapter 2, what does Peter address? He addresses the example of Jesus. Because remember what Jesus did. He came to this world and he surrendered himself and he surrendered himself to the authorities at that time that were in governmental positions who reviled him. But yet it says that Jesus did not revile in return. In other words, Jesus came and he surrendered and submitted himself even when it cost him something. And so Peter saying, wise, likewise, follow the example of Jesus 
Let the example of Jesus be a motivating factor in how you live and in how you conduct yourself in this world. In fact, Paul writes in Philippians 2, and I love this passage, Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. What did Jesus do? He humbled himself. He walked in submission. See, to submit requires humility. We oftentimes fight against submission. Why? Because our pride gets in the way. We begin to think we shouldn't have to submit. That person doesn't justify my submission. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, right? How many times? Don't, don't raise your hand. Okay. We've all done it. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And we let our pride, our pride hinder us from God's better way of submission. See, Look at it this way. Think this through. Our own Savior came and submitted himself to bring us into better life. Did he not? Did he not secure salvation for us by submitting himself? So God's desire in submission is not suppression, but salvation. Better life. He wants that for you in your homes, in your personal relationships. God's desire is not to bring you low, bring you down for that sake alone. His desire is not submission for suppression, but submission for salvation, for better life. Now, it may be tempting for some wives to try and maybe win their husbands over through other means. Perhaps trying to get their way through deceptive practices. Look at what Peter addresses next here in verse 3. Do not... Let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So wives are not to try to be a knockout to try to knock out the role and position of their husbands. (laughs) Your focus is not to be on outward beauty, but inward beauty. If you, if you really want to have an impact on your husband, focus on that inner life of holiness and submission. That's certainly not what the world teaches, is it? This is so foreign to the world's ways. When's the last time you've walked by a magazine stand, seen the latest you know, glamour magazine with the heading of humility, inner beauty on the cover? Like, you just don't see that. It's not about those things, sadly. It's all about the outward look. And we begin to cater to this we begin to bring bring people into bondage in a sense thinking that this is what's needed but god's not focused on that god's not interested in that notice god sees the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit the inner beauty as very precious now that word precious is translated elsewhere in the bible as costly in other words to god This inner beauty is of great value. Of great value. And it will be for your husband, whether they realize it or not. Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 12 says this. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth or her value is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack again. She does him good. 
and not evil all the days of her life. And the husband benefits from a woman of great character rather than superficial beauty. Proverbs 31.30 says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Understand, we can put so much focus on outward stuff and it's all passing. There's no real great value towards it. Now, before we move on, can I just say that there is no prohibition to trying to look nice? Let's not take the extremes here as some churches have done where they ban all ladies from hairbrushes or jewelry or clothes not made in the 1800s, right? I mean, there are churches that have taken that stance where like, oh boy, no, there's to be no outward beauty. You know, there's to be no attempts of trying to make yourself look nice. That's not what we're saying. That's not what this passage is saying. Thank, thank the Lord for that, right? But he's just saying here, if your focus is on the outward stuff and that's all you've got, then it's not going to really be of help or value to you. I love what we read in Proverbs 11 verse 22, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Right? Isn't that a great picture right there? Because you can take a pig and you can try to dress this thing up as best as you want, put a nice gold jewel in its nose. Guess what? You're still left with a pig who stinks and is messy and dirty. It's not going to help matters, right? So we need to be careful that that doesn't become our focus. I love what one pastor said. People like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out. But in the darkness, beauty is only seen if there's a light within. So guys, find a woman that is to be praised because of what's inside. Girls, remember what you use to catch them is what you'll need to keep them. And it's passing. If they don't want you for who you are inside, then you need to toss them outside, all right? Charles William Eliot, who was a former president of Harvard University back in like, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, had a birthmark on his face that bothered him greatly. As a young man, he was told that surgeons could do nothing to remove it. Someone described that moment as the dark hour of his soul. Eliot's mother gave him this helpful advice. My son, she said, it is not possible for you to get rid of that hardship, But it is possible for you, with God's help, to grow a mind and soul so big that people will forget to look at your face. And that's how we need to be. We're not trying to draw attention to what's outside. We want the inside to be shining through brightly and making an impact with those around us. That's Peter's direction here. And then he gives us a great example here. Now look at verse 5. For in this manner... In former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Sarah, you know, Abraham's wife is not hitting the local mall, looking up greater wedding ring or grab the latest fashion. That's not what she's about. All right. I was in Costco the other day with my wife and we Happened to stroll by the jewelry cabinet with all the nice rings in there, right? And we're coming up in a couple months to our 25th wedding anniversary, which I can't even believe is happening, right? I don't even feel like I'm 25 years old half the time, but 25 years married. And so she's, of course, thinking, perfect time to, you know, upgrade. And it's not just upgrading the wedding ring. It's upgrading the upgrade that I've already given her at our 10th anniversary. And I'm like 
thank you for this passage that has come at just the right time, Lord. So I quickly just had a little study with her at Costco of 1 Peter 3. Verse 3. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, honey. Okay, let's keep moving on to the dairy section. All right. And, and my wife's not about that. She's, you know, no, we're having fun over that. She's quickly said, yeah, yeah, it's all good. Um, and we're just having fun. But, oh, okay, I'm getting some feedback now. Apparently, I do need to get the ring. Is that what you're saying, Karen? Okay. All right. Did I remind you where the tithe and offering boxes are, everybody, in the church here? Okay, all right. Um, So, but here's the thing is, Sarah wasn't about these things, right? She was about obeying her husband to the point of calling him Lord. Now, we're not saying that you wives need to go around calling your husbands Lord. But would it hurt to try, maybe once in a while? Would it really make that... Now, see... That's not what Peter is getting at. In fact, in this day, it was kind of a common term. It could be used in place of sir or, you know, those in, in, in a position of authority. It wasn't anything like you're calling him God or anything like that, right? The point is that Sarah had a respect for her husband. And that wouldn't have been easy, right? Because I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're going, well, listen, if my husband was like Abraham, I'd have no problem submitting. I mean, sure, well, I would... That'd be no problem. Abraham, he's Abraham after all, right? I have no problems to me. I wish my husband was more like Abraham. Really? See, Abraham had to tell his wife one day, hey, honey, we're moving. Pack up your stuff. Okay, Abraham, where are we going? I don't know. We're just going to go. How many of you would like that if I had to tell us in Hebrews 11, 8? And he went out not knowing where he was going. How many wives have experienced that and snapped on more than one occasion with your husband? You're like, can you just get a map for once? Can you just look at it? Don't be driving around in circles like you know where you're going. Abraham was no different, my friends, all right? And then we've got Abraham who's taken his wife into foreign territory in Egypt saying, hey, honey, by the way, if they ask who you are, Just lie, tell them you're my sister because if they know that you're my wife, they're going to take me out, man. And they're going to take you for themselves. So he's having Sarah having to lie and put themselves in potential harm. And then Abraham decides to give up some of the best land that they had to his whining nephew Lot just to kind of quiet him up. I mean, Sarah's probably thinking, what? You gave him that land? Are you kidding me, Abraham? And then Abraham one day has to go out to murder his son. No big deal, right? I mean, yes, it was a God thing, but could you imagine Sarah, who's probably thinking this guy's, if he hasn't been off his rocker before, this is the icing on the cake right now. This guy's off his rocker. And Sarah is having to contend and deal with these things. The point is, is that Sarah didn't have it easy. All right? But she didn't stop submitting. And notice what we read there in verse five. Let me see if I can bring this up again. Verse five, uh, I, I like that. It it says that these women trusted in God. Take note of that. These holy women from former times, they trusted in God. You see, sometimes the things around us don't make sense. And more often than not, wives, your husbands are not going to make sense. I don't even make sense to myself sometimes. I'm like, what are you saying? Talking to myself. Things aren't going to always make sense around you. But here's what you're called to do, wives. You're you're called to trust, not your husbands, trust God. Trust God. 
and, and you follow in submission. Following submission shows how you're trusting God. Sarah did, and she was rewarded for that. Whose daughters you are if you do good. So the, the, the call out there is you become daughters of these great women of faith when you follow that example and you walk in submission to your husbands. Even when you look at the situation and you go, I, I, I can't do that. I can't submit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to derail us. It's going to end in, in, in difficulty. My husband is going to lead us over the cliff. You might think that way sometimes. But you're called to trust God. If you do good and are not afraid with any terror, you see, that's what causes people to go, I can't submit. Because I'm afraid of what that might lead to. I'm afraid of what the outcome might be. You don't know my husband. The guy's going to cause us to, to just end in ruin. But you know what? That's on him. Your job is not to try to correct. Yeah, yeah. There should be opportunity to discuss and counsel. And hopefully you, you, you can, you're, you're working together as we'll get to here. You're working together and coming to unity. But there comes a time where there might be a time you need to say, all right, I'm going to yield. And guess what? As the head of the home, it's on you, bub. So you better think wisely on that. My wife loves to do that. She loves to go, okay, well, you need to lead and, and this is on you. And I'm like, oh, great, man. Now I feel all this pressure and weight on me. But that's the way it should be because I'm accountable to God. And she can rest and go, you're accountable to God. So do wisely here. And I need to do that. And, and so she doesn't need to fear the outcome because she's showing her trust in God. Wives, you're to show that my fear, again, is not in the outcome, but I have a fear of God that says, I'm going to trust him above everything else that I see. I don't need to be afraid of what's going to come because understand that God's going to protect you. God's going to sustain you. Your hope is not in your husband. Your hope is in God. And he's the one that's going to take you, sustain you, protect you, and guide you. If you Follow in obedience. And part of following in obedience is submitting to your husband. You all still with me so far? All right. Great. And it's getting probably pretty late here. We should probably wrap up right there here. And you guys can just read the next verse when you're at home. No. One more verse. Verse 7. Look what we read there. It's your turn, husbands. All right. You ready? All right. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. <laughs> giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So what does Peter say? Again, likewise, just as wives were to follow the example of Jesus and, and just as we're to walk in submission to all those in authority, likewise, husbands, in the same way, in like manner, husbands, come alongside your wives, dwelling with them with understanding. Now to dwell with your wives means that you need to dwell with them, spend time with them, hang out with them, get to know them. There was a couple that had been married for 50 years, Ralph and Janice, who were celebrating this great occasion. So Pastor Jones asked Ralph to come forward in church and talk about how he had managed to live with the same woman for these 50 years. What was the secret to their success? And so Ralph turned to the congregation and said, well, I've always treated her with respect, 
I've sought to bless her, spend money on her, and I've, I, I love to take her traveling on special occasions. And so the pastor asked, well, where did you take her? And he said, well, for our 25th anniversary, I took her to Paris. And the crowd kind of nodded in appreciation. And it was like, ah. Oh. And when things kind of quieted down, the pastor winked and said, what a terrific example you are to husbands, Ralph. So tell us, where are you going now for your 50th anniversary? And Ralph replied, I'm going back to get her. Yeah, that's a good one, isn't it? So, husbands, are you carving out time to be with them and get to know them? I was talking with Tony Padra after the service. He said, you know, one thing I was told early in marriage is to have a date night. That's so important, so key. Have a date night. So Tony goes out on Tuesday nights and Eva goes out on Thursday nights <laughs> is, is what he told me. But have that time where you're carving away, where you're dwelling with your wife. You're getting to know her. Now, the reason a lot of men don't have that time with their wives is why? Because they don't understand their wives. And they're thinking, I don't want to be with my wife. I don't get her. I don't. But we're told to honor them as the weaker vessel. In other words, when they're doing things that may bother you, men, like being emotional, crying, wanting to cuddle, remember that they're created this way. The weaker vessel. Did I tell you I'm just the messenger today, guys? I'm just the messenger. Now, what that means is that they're created differently. Okay? Let's not focus on a weaker side. It means that they're created differently. There's different needs that they have than you. You don't expect them to be just like you. And I'm thankful for that. Because how boring would it be if you married you? Wouldn't that be brutal? be awful. Some of you are going, oh, I don't know. That could be No, that'd be weird, guys. It'd be dumb. See, there's something that comes about when we have somebody that compliments us, that comes alongside and, and perhaps fills in some of those holes that, that sort of brings about, and I'm not talking about, you know, oh, you just complete me. No, because our completion is in Jesus Christ, all right? So we're not talking about that. But there's something to say about coming together and just having this, this unity in the midst of this diversity that is a blessing to one another, all right? And, and so... Men, you're to come alongside with understanding. Don't expect them to be like you. Don't expect them to do things the same way you do it. Come with understanding because they're a different vessel. They're not made like you. There's, there's different needs that you need to come alongside and seek to honor those things and be a blessing to them. Don't avoid them. Don't say, oh, I got to go in the garage and do some more work, honey, because you're just going, I can't dwell with them. I, she looks like she's going to cry again. I can't deal with that. Get to understand why. Get to know what's causing them to tick. Get to know what bothers them, what upsets them. Most of the time it'll probably be you, and so you get to learn how to fix that then. (laughs) But come alongside them, dwell with them with understanding. Because they're made differently than you. But don't get frustrated and, 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 and do all these things. Love them and honor them. For as Peter says, notice this, they are heirs together of the grace of life. So look at it this way. They are partakers with you of the mercies and the grace of God. They may be different than you, but they are on equal footing when it comes to eternal things. Don't you love that? You're together in the eyes of the Lord. You're the same inheritance. You're the same hope. You're partakers together of the same things. Don't treat them differently. 
Don't undermine them. You come together in joy for what you both have in Jesus. Let that bring a unity and mutual respect toward one another in the home. So husbands, you you have no license to be a dictator, to act as a boss. Don't be cruel. Live with understanding. Don't be quick to use 1 Peter 3, 1 on your wife. Be more ready to use 1 Peter 3, 7 on yourself. Because that's what tends to happen oftentimes is that in our marriage relationships, we begin to look at what the other's not doing, right? We begin to say, if you would just do this, if you would just be more like that, then don't ever point the finger and try to fix your spouse. You look at yourself and go, how can I respond? What can I do differently? How can I be a better husband or a better wife? Seek to fulfill your role and not try to make them fulfill their role. And when you're fulfilling your role, they're going to find it so much easier to go, oh man, I have so much more joy just coming and submitting to my husband who is loving me and dwelling with me with understanding. The husband that sees the wife that's submitting says, oh man, I have so much more more uh, desire to come and just dwell with them with understanding. That's what we need to do. Husbands, be careful that you're not playing this heavy card as we can tend to do. And just lay that out as just submit. Hupotasso. Just do that. Don't play that card. You live the way that God has called you to live and fulfill those roles you have. There was one man who was commuting home from work, just finished reading the book, Man of the House, focusing on the wife's submission. When he reached home, he stormed in the house and walked directly up to his wife, pointing his finger in her face. He said, from now on, I want you to know that I'm the man of this house and my word is law. You're to prepare me a gourmet meal every night. And when I'm finished eating my meal, I expect a sumptuous dessert afterward. Then after dinner, you're going to draw my bath so I can relax. And when I'm finished with my bath, Guess who's going to dress me and comb my hair? The wife responded, I'm assuming the funeral director. (laughs) And when we're not carrying out our role, it has an effect on spiritual matters. That's a sad thing of what begins to go on. Peter says, do these things that your prayers may not be hindered. That there's no stoppage in this communion with God. You see, God is more concerned about you and in your relationship with one another than you are just going on and conducting business with him as though everything's fine. God's kind of sitting there saying, hold on. Do you not see what's going on over here? Can you just, I'll be here. I'm not going anywhere. Can you go and make that right before you come to me as though everything's fine? In fact, Jesus says as much in in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Make your relationships right around you so that when you do come to God, you can come freely and just have that enjoyable communion with God. God is more concerned for what's going on in your relationships than you just kind of dismissing those things and trying to be acting as though everything's fine before him. He knows. He sees. We can't hide anything from him. Don't let your prayers be hindered in these ways. Carry out your roles of what the Bible says for you to do. Wise? It's simple. 
Submit to your husbands. Husbands, dwell with them with understanding. Honor them. Paul would say in Ephesians 5, to love your wives as Christ loved the church, who gave his life fully. Wives, do you realize how good you've got it? You have to just submit. We have to die. That's a tall order. I'll take the submission part any day. Dying to self, that's, that's the heavy. We didn't really get into any of that. But you get the idea. We each have our role. And it's to be a blessing to one another. And seek to lift up, encourage, and love one another. In the way that we're called to do. May you find yourself growing in those things. And carrying that out. Worship team, come on up and we're going to close with a song here. And, and just hear some things that we can look at just to apply this word and, and, and bring to mind. Wives, what does submission look like in your relationship? What could be done differently to bless your husband? Husbands, how well do you know your wife? What could be done to improve that? And thirdly, how does being heirs together of the grace of life encourage you to live differently towards each other now? Let's take these things to heart. And, and again... I never want to address these things or ask these questions in a way where we have to go home and go, okay, I just got to try harder. I got to do more. This is not about, you know, a, a morality boost. We understand that we can do none of these things apart from Christ. And he has gone before us as our example. And he enables us today to live these things out. We cannot do these things without him. And so we always need to go, Lord, would you be the one that does this work in me, and that I might then be able to live these things out. Because I can't do it in myself. It's not just about trying harder, putting on morality now. This is about putting on Christ. Saying, God, as a believer in you, let my conduct show who I'm ultimately following and submitting to. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word and this encouragement and Lord, we pray for marriages and in this fellowship, Lord, and around, uh, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen wives and husbands to continue to grow and love one for another, to be those that walk in mutual respect and love and submission. And may we do these things because Lord, you've shown us the way and the better way. These are the ways that are going to ensure harmony and unity and blessing in the home that's your desire so may we carry these things out may you help us and strengthen us to do so so bless these marriages bless those that are looking for a wife or a husband lead them lord in these things and in these decisions and god may you prepare them now to be the right husband and wife it's not about finding the right person it's about being the right person and may they do that lord so we ask these things in your name jesus amen let's all stand together and let's Close of the song here together.